around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Wow, we're into uncharted territory. Yeah. Finally. It feels good, but also strange. <laughs> yeah. Why would anyone want to want to pollute their body with drugs? I know. We get our first Frakes episode. Yeah. Promised first Jonathan Frakes episode of Star Trek Picard. Did Hanalee Culpepper direct all three of the first three episodes? She did. Wow. Well, you really get a chance to craft the look and feel of a show when you get the first three, I think. That's yeah. what, a, what a great get for her. Yeah, that's dope. And then nice to see that my close personal friend, Jonathan Frakes, got to do this one. Yeah. What a delight. <laughs> Just salt of the earth, that guy. Can, you know... You could talk to him for hours. Yeah, you really could. <laughs> we love him. I have a question. Uh, I'm I'm sure nobody from CBS All Access still listens to this podcast, but right. if anybody in the business office or anybody that like knows somebody that works there could answer the question, why do they have next time on Star Trek Picard promos if you watch the episode in the browser, but not if you watch it on a streaming app on your television? Uh, I've never gotten the next time on Star Trek Picard promo uh, playing it on the Apple TV. Wow. And I reliably get it later when I fire it up in the browser to see if there was a next time on Star Trek Picard. One of the things I like about how Discovery does those is that they give it to a different actor almost every time. And I think for episode four, it's Michelle Hurd that does the read, right? Yeah, I think you're right that... uh, they're kind of following in the in the footsteps of disco on that. Yeah. It's cool. Well, do you want to get into uh, the episode that we came here to talk about today, Adam? Yeah, I I uh I can't wait any longer. I kind of like I've been looking forward to the first freaks for a long time. So let's get into it. It's Star Trek Picard season 1 episode 4, Absolute Freaks. <laughs> This is another one of those episodes that starts 14 years ago. Yeah. And this is a little bit before the 14 years ago that uh, the previous uh, ones have been, because uh, this is not Picard walking walking out of the meeting with the brass, uh, having found out that the Romulan spacelift is being called off. This is him enacting the Romulan spacelift. Uh, they are populating a planet called Vashti in the Beta Quadrant. It's the Quadrant of Cucks. And uh, uh, no wonder the Romulans took great umbrage with being moved there. But, you know, early stages of this colony, you see a lot of, like, buildings under construction and a lot of shuttlecraft coming in and out. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem like uh, it's a a total backbreaking project for the Romulans that have been delivered here. Like they're like playing cards and conducting commerce and screwing around. One of the things that we like and observe about old World War II movies is how often there is some form of a cantina yeah. as part of their base environment for the military. <laughs> and I love that there is very clearly like there's there's stores and places to gather, but there's also a, uh, a saloon. Very clearly yeah. in town. Uh, we meet uh, a young Elner, who uh, who's kind of the Bart Simpson of the Romulan Empire. He's running around here. He steals a piece of fruit, gets called Sister Boy, and uh, yells back, "Bite me!" to uh, to the person in Romulan. I was on uh, I was on Elner's team right away because I too was called Sister Boy as a youth. <laughs> <laughs> Very hurtful. Goes unexplained in this moment, but uh, he is delighted to see Admiral Picard beaming down. And uh, Admiral Picard beams down not in Admiral Regalia, but in kind of like the vacation wear that you order out of the back of like a, a literary magazine. I feel like written into Patrick Stewart's contract for coming back to this show is getting a lot of costume changes because his <laughs> Colombian drug cartel playset here is 
rad. And I hope they start putting out action figures for this series oh, because I w- wouldn't you love to collect all the Picards? There's so yes. many of them already. Wow. Yeah. Ben, this is another example of some de-aging software being used on Patrick Stewart's face. And I think it is super well done. The The flashback scenes involving Picard, uh, I feel like are the software is imperceptible to me. And I'm watching it on as big of a screen as I can and at 4K. And I really like how it looks. It's it's Sometimes you get like weird uncanny valley vibes from from actor de-aging in movies yeah. and television. I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. I can't see it here. I think it is best of breed effects work. It's awesome. If you hadn't told me it was happening, I would not have known. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. I, I love the work here. It And they don't overdo it either. I think that's part of the reason it works. Like they aren't, they aren't making him look like TNG, Patrick Stewart. Like there is... There are some differences in his aging, and yeah. it's not like they just use the blur tool across his entire <laughs> face and, and eyes, you know? Right. Yeah, it's come a long way. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting that they keep going 14 years in the past and have not yet gone 25 years in the past. Like, there has not been a, like, aside from the dream sequence about playing cards with data, there has not been a... Uh, a, a memory that harkens back to yeah. TNG era. The anchor point in the series is on or around the day of the Mars attack. Yeah. But I mean, the series is definitely referencing other stuff. And I mm-hmm. wonder I wonder if they'll ever, ever do that. Like actually like build a Enterprise D set and put him in there and, you know, like try and try and recreate that as a as a flashback. It seems a little bit of a waste to have built 10 forward for just that first scene in episode one and to not ever use it again. It would be nice to go back to there. It would be. I want to go to there. Picard is there to visit Zani and uh, she is one of the, I mean, is none the right word? Like they're in, they're clearly in a kind of monastery and she is someone who belongs to a, pseudo-religious sect there. I'm, I'm inclined to call her a nun. If nun is perfectly analogous to monk and yeah. what she is is the Romulan equivalent of a Shaolin monk, yeah. then I think nun is uh, is the right word. Yeah. And they definitely have weird hats. <laughs> it's the hats thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love Zani in this episode, but I can't wait for Zani 2 back in the habit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> in a series that has really like put Picard in the ball kicking machine, it is nice to be reminded of a time when Picard was happy and good at his job and no one was blaming him for his many mistakes. Like he's he's really glowing here in a way that feels good it does except for it's also directly referencing some of the most unfortunately written and executed star trek that ever has been which is the early season one tng stuff about picard being uncomfortable around children yeah yeah uh (laughs) i mean that that reference delighted me you know it did Yeah, but like this is like something that we made fun of a lot when we were reviewing yeah. season one of TNG, and people still listen to like to this day we get messages from people that listen to us reviewing season one of TNG and going Picard would never be yeah like and it's like we're not saying that he is we're saying it's badly written yeah <laughs> it feels a little bit like apologia for the bad writing of a TV show from you know like not. That's not 25 years ago, right? That's like 32 years ago TV. Yeah. Well, speaking of the written word, Ben, I think it's a little bit troubling that Picard gives young Elnor a book, and it is the English version of The Three Musketeers. (laughs) Good luck, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Elnor seems really excited about this in a way that no kid this age has ever been excited about getting especially a book as dusty and old looking as this one. Right. But, you know, he's maybe he's just precocious and good. I love this scene because it is the introduction to the way of absolute candor. 
and the way that our characters speak to each other, it's bracing to hear yeah. it. There are no parentheticals in the script here. Like, like you're taking the brackets off of all of those and you're just making it dialogue. I really like it. It's kind of how my therapist uh, suggested I try speaking to people. <laughs> yeah. You know, not reacting to the things they say by attacking them, but, but reacting by explaining what I feel about it. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> the way of absolute candor reminded me a lot of just a society of opinionated mothers <laughs> like, like unsolicited opinions abound. Yeah. It's great. They've got this, uh, this adage that promises are prisons and, uh, you know, Picard doesn't want to make a, a promise be a prison by giving out these gifts, but then immediately turns around and, and, uh, promises to find Elnor another place to live because, uh, these ladies have, have, uh, you know, joined this sect, which is an all-female order. I guess is is probably the best word. And uh, it's they're not really equipped to have this rambunctious little boy living among them. They don't make the habits in kid sizes. Clearly, <laughs> I was referring to how Picard acts and feels in this scene because I think it's intentional. Like we're putting him up on this good diplomatic pedestal in order to knock him from it later like there was a time 14 years ago where things were great and picard was at the top of his game and he was received as a hero and a benefit in this place and and we're getting all of those feelings here well and also he is making promises on behalf of the entire yeah. starfleet that he totally believes will be backed up by the starfleet like the like he has zero Concern that Starfleet will not be a thousand percent behind everything he commits to on their behalf. And, you know, this is like that, those rosy days of the past where before the scales fell from your eyes kind of thing. This is the danger of confusing your career with you as a person. You know, you need to divorce your, your identity from your work. And this is something that Picard never does. And it really bites him. Yeah. If all Romulans lived like the Coat Malat and believed that promises were prisons, this would not have gone as badly for Picard. Like all of the commitments he makes ev evaporating when the synthetics attack Mars would not be such a bad deal because they'd be like, hey, man, like you made us promises, but we're not going to we're not going to become your jailer. That's not our bag. We're Coat Malat. <laughs> when Rafi uh, radios Picard, I I think it's the first instance of a com badge being held up to an ear for for secrecy. Yeah. Right? Privacy com badge. Yeah. <laughs> so the com badge must know where it is on your body and then adjust the volume based on its on its location, right? That, that, we could have that right now. Like the the phone screen turns off when you hold the phone up to your face. Yeah. So it could just go to it. It could just go to speakerphone when you take the phone away from your face. Why not? Why sh why doesn't it automatically do that? That makes perfect sense. I would I would love to at least have that as an option and try it out. I'm busy, Rafi. The news of the Mars attack triggers Picard's abrupt departure, and this doesn't do anything to dispute the many promises he's made. He's like, look, uh, shit has really hit the fan, but I don't see this changing anything about our plans for relocation for everyone. So uh, I got to go, obviously, because it's an emergency, but I will be right back. Off he transports like mid-stride. <laughs> I don't know why he walked away. He beams into theme song. <laughs> the technology has really changed. I think all of the transports that we've seen have been faster yeah. In Star Trek Picard, and uh, and also more easily able to do while moving. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. Does he walk off the transport pad like? Because he's going down steps, so yeah. it seems like you would like do that thing where you're like going down some stairs and you're not looking, and your muscle memory assumes there's like one more step down, and you really like stamp the ground at the bottom. Picard, even 14 years ago, is not a young man. It seems like it's an unnecessary risk. <laughs> you don't want him to break a hip stepping off of the transporter pad once he gets yeah. back to the ship. It's an admiral we're talking about. Right. In space, we are in the present, and we're on Rios' ship, 
And uh, Girardi is introducing us to a brand new concept, Ben. It's space as a feeling. Yeah. The way that she talks about the boredom and just the great distances involved in space travel and the waiting as you go from place to place. Uh, I really like this. Yeah, it, it's a much more bare bones ship that they're on. So it's not like the D where there's like a, a Lido deck and a swimming pool and a cetacean studies department and a arboretum. Like she is like reading every copy of the New Yorker she brought with her twice and then is like, okay, uh, what else is there to do? Okay, go bar- bother the captain. With the way that Girardi talks about her dad in this scene, uh, do you think that he's dead or alive? Ooh, I didn't make an assumption on that. The reason I ask is I'm going to guess that he's dead, and I'm going to also believe that that is a major part of her affection for Picard. Hmm. In both in like age and authority, like I think, I think Picard makes a good dad for her and a lot of other people who enjoy his character. You know. Hmm. I think that's got to be part of it. I'm going to guess that he's still alive and that we're going to meet him and he's going to be hilarious. <laughs> he's got to be hilarious uh, to be Girardi's dad. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a great guy by reputation. Non-hilarious people could not have produced Dr. Girardi. Right. Enter Rafi. Surprise, motherfucker. Who is pissed. They've diverted from their journey to Free Cloud uh, to a stop that was chosen by Picard this is a scene where you understand the chain of command pretty clearly. Like Picard is calling the shots. He did hire Rios. He does have to take the ship where he wants. Yeah. And uh, still a little unclear, like what the means of exchange is there. But yeah, like he's, he's admiraling despite the fact that Rios is captaining. Like Rios is captain of the ship, but, but Picard is the customer. Right, right. He's diverted them to Vashti. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love that Rafi can do the math on, on this. She, she says like something about like a taking his guilt trip at warp speed or something like that. She's just really got his number. <laughs> She's razor sharp, especially, uh, in, in her cutting remarks at Picard. Yeah. She's great like that. The scene raised a lot of questions for me because at the end of it, Picard says, all right, I'm going to my quarters. I thought this was Picard's quarters and the idea that, long-term space travel was made more comfortable in the intervening years through the use of the hollow matrix that we see in this scene. Like I thought, I thought this was where Picard was staying and the hospitality program made his quarters up using the hollow matrix. Oh, I like that. There's a hospitality program. I do too. That's cool. Like like stop, stop making ensigns do that work. That, yeah. that should be the work of an emergency hospitality software. For a time, that was Will Riker's job, showing <laughs> him where the replicators were. Yeah. How do you cut on this TV? I mean, this is the scene where like, Rafi does not let this go and presses him and presses him, uh, and Girardi comes in and helps, <laughs> and uh, Rios does the same. They're, they're interrogating him about this, but Picard remains resolute, like, he's got to go there. And he's taking everyone with him. The hospitality program says that he made Picard study out of Jaban's instructions, but he pronounces Jaban's name like Shaban, Ben. Do you think that was intentional? Did he say Jaban? He said Mr. Chibon, I thought. Chibon's Ankylosaur. Yeah. I played it back a couple of times. The subtitle is the name of, is Jaban's name. What the fuck happened there? Yeah. <laughs> that's a mistake, right? Chibon's ankylosaur. I don't know. That That's why I brought it up. I thought it, it stuck out to me. Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> You're saying that he got the instructions for creating the Picard study playset by someone who wasn't Jibon and instead had a name that was... Well, when, when he said it, I was like, is Mr. Chibon... It, it, referring to Jaban, and that that would make Jaban's name Jaban Chiban. Oh, if so, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but but you're right. The I, I just looked at it, and the subtitles do say Jaban. So yeah. I don't. I have no idea how this this happened. I mean, I like this is a phenomenon that's fairly 
uh, fairly widespread in Star Trek, which is that all of these made up alien words mm-hmm. don't have a uh, you know like a a settled pronunciation. I think that it may be why data is pronounced data and not data. Right. And the I think that the rule on TNG was like whoever says the word the first time gets to pick how it's pronounced. That's but then, fun. like obviously, like in early examples of the existence of the planet Bajor, it was pronounced Bajor, mm. and and then at some point it changed without explanation, probably just because it was a busy television set and they forgot what they had settled on. Yeah, yeah. So this this may be that, but I don't know. Pretty clear that Rios has an EH for every occasion. Yeah. I wonder how many more we're going to meet. Do you think there's an emergency masturbation hologram? <laughs> and it's, it's just him? It's just him with two fleshlights instead of hands. God. It really melts your mind to consider, like, fucking your own hologram. What that would mean (laughs) about yourself sexually. Yeah. It's very autoerotic. One thing Picard does in this scene, Ben, is he comes several times. Come. uh, Using that word the way he used to on TNG. I love that. Come, 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 come. Yeah, people keep coming at his invitation. Far more coming than I expected from a man his age. Yeah. Not, you know, he he can still be a very vigorous lover at that age, uh, with some of the advents of modern science. Um, yeah, Raffi is uh, trying to talk him out of this, but Picard is quite set on the idea that he can go to Vashti and get himself some muscle, mm-hmm. because uh, the Koat Malat uh, are not just warrior nuns, but they're also like the antipode to the Tal Shiar in Romulan society, like in. Almost every way, they are the opposite of the Tal Shiar. They they believe in candor and you know saying stuff out loud in the open, and uh, and they fucking hate the Tal Shiar, and they are willing to kill. There is absolutely no angle that will convince Picard out of this plan. They're like, you don't really need a swordsman, and it's really out of the way, so we should really just continue on our course. And also, shit has gone down in this area of the quadrant that makes it a little bit dangerous to be going to this planet again. Like, no reason will dissuade him. It's a dangerous part of space, and a lot of that has to do with the way there was no power structure put in place uh, at at the end of the bungled rescue of the Romulans. The line that really seals the deal for me is when Picard says he may never be there again, that is effectively a conversation stopper. Yeah, and it checks back in on the mortality sword of Damocles that was introduced uh, early in the series. We get a super brief interstitial scene on the board cube where Soji is reviewing materials uh, pertaining to Ramda, and those materials are videos of her pre-assimilation, and uh, at the same time, she's playing with Ramda's cards. Yeah, these Romulans really love triangular things. We see, like, triangular bread in this yeah. episode, these triangular cards. They're real triangle freaks. Yeah, they are. Some of what Ramda is talking about here is this is this Romulan uh, mythology... Sorry, Ramda. I didn't mean to use the word mythology, but I'm going to use it about uh, the end of the end of the world and mm-hmm. the destroyer, which is you know language that Soji has heard before. But I also picked up on uh, she she mentioned shackled demons, and oh. I wonder if that is a kind of mythic imagination of what the disconnected Borgs are. Good call. Good paper. Yeah, this is my little film paper. <laughs> Back on Rios's ship, they've arrived at Vashti, and Picard proposes the do you know who I am method of getting past their security, which is great. <laughs> the security's like, now nah, you guys, you gotta bring a couple of girls. I, like, how many times do I have to tell you people this? I love how this keeps happening to Picard. He is assuming this posture of, well, I'm Admiral Picard, and I always have been, and I always will be. The girls that I'm here with are already inside. I'm meeting up with them. Do you know how many Twitter followers I have? I've got a blue check, baby. You don't want to make an enemy of me. (laughs) 
I could really drag you online. This is another scene where Picard uses a lot of one-word prompts Parents. to his crew, and this is a direct callback. Like every McLaughlin group Picard ever had one. on the Enterprise was always like suggestion. <laughs> well, like he does this several times in this moment, and that was very nostalgic for me. Yeah, I liked it. They decide on a a cash bribe for whoever is working planetary security, and. It is a smash cut to Picard beaming down in the middle of this Vashti playset, right in the same spot as before. But, uh, uh, you know, in the intervening 14 years, it's sustained quite a bit of degradation and damage. Uh, so it does not look like the hopeful early stage colony that uh, that he left. And uh, he kind of he's kind of like old banning around, like kind of doddering and saying Jolan true to everyone like it feels very like uh, all right man like calm down a little bit like these guys are clearly not super psyched that you're here he's kind of doing that Kapla thing he used to do with Klingons yeah like when you go to a Mexican restaurant and your parents mispronounce the name of foods like it's just a little bit uh come on come on Picard (laughs) (laughs) don't keep doing this uh, can we have a little bit more salsa yeah. at the table? <laughs> it's another way that is in stark contrast to that scene 14 years ago. He's in the same place. It's at a different time before he was received as a hero, and now he's a pariah. Speaking of nostalgic feelings, this really feels like the big budget version of one of those courtyard outdoor sets that they had in every third episode of TNG. Yeah, looks great. Yeah, like it's it's... Very close to the same scale, but they can just do a little bit more stuff with what's going on in the distance with the giant tree or whatever, because they can CG that in relatively cheaply compared to in 1988. One of the ways that this planet has really changed over the years is that the insect population has exploded. (laughs) They are everywhere. Yeah, a lot of little gnats in the air. Yeah. Picard and Zani meet up again, and she greets him warmly. Yeah. She's she's clearly happy to see him, and uh, Elnor does not. Do Romulans age slowly like Vulcans? It sure seems like it. She looks great. Zani does not. She doesn't even have gray hair. No. But there's a moment where, you know, Picard is like... Uh, He's like, you haven't aged a day or whatever. And she's like, shut the fuck up. This is a house of candor and I will kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> what? Fine. Then, uh, Zani, you look uh, fairly dusty. <laughs> Back on the Borg Cube, uh, Soji works with Ramda as Narek watches. She feels pretty guilty about what happened. And what happened is that Ramda was so freaked out by Soji in the last episode that she tried to shoot herself in the head. Yeah. That's sure to bring up some bad feelings. Indeed. What did you make of that little drone that was like hovering over her and shooting a laser at her? We've seen these guys cruise around the Borg ship a lot in the background. I don't yeah. really know what it's doing. It seems like it. it's like not there. It just kind of like wanders into the room and then starts doing that. And yeah. I was like, are they about to start getting assimilated? Like, do, do they need to take take action and run like they said i think it's a borg roomba i think it's just in there cleaning up or (laughs) or surveying and then leaving that's the way i felt about it yeah because they're they're not wearing their uh radiation detectors so no one is wearing laced shoes on the borg ship i think that's (laughs) that's a reason why you don't want to get those caught in the borg roomba Yeah, you gotta you gotta pick those up off the floor before it runs. Narek's like, "Hey, so could you use a break?" And then takes her to Borg Ten Forward, Ben. And I've got to believe that this is a location on the ship that is very hard to find. Do you think it's uh, like ten forward of twenty? Yes, I do. <laughs> I don't know how much work you've ever done in a government building, but one of the one of the qualities of a government facility is like they they label every hallway and every doorway uh, numerically. And I've got to think that that is what happens on this Borg ship because when every hallway looks like every other hallway and any room could be 10 forward, I don't know how you aren't lost all the time. 
Yeah, it's got to be really confusing. Yeah. Um, I like the uh, the Christmas lights that they've brought in to just kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, make it a slightly more inviting space because it is very clinical seeming. Like the that blue cast of the light does not seem like it's like a flattering space to be sitting and trying to be on a date. It's like what a flower arrangement does to a hospital room. It's it's just a little <laughs> bit of nice in an otherwise very sterile environment. Yeah. I guess they're drinking Romulan ale, so they'll be uh, they'll be looking at each other through Romulan ale glasses pretty soon. Yeah. Every time we see a set on this Borg ship, I can't help but think it's the first time blank has ever happened on a Borg ship. Like, this is clearly the first cantina on a Borg ship, for example, you know? The question of who, who fucked for the first time on a Borg ship is... Almost less interesting than who went on the first date on a Borg ship. Yeah. Yeah. This really turns into that. Like, it, it's very, like, rom-com date where they, they go to a second location, which is some whimsical idea he has about a Borg ritual where it's, uh, you know, take off your shoes and slide on, on the floor with your socks. There was a moment where he was un- unloading this idea of the Borg ritual and... She says, like, there's no such thing. And he says, a lot of people think that. And she cocks her head to the side, and it is very data-like. Huh. I love the feeling of this scene, but but I'm not sure the scene worked for me specifically. And the reason for that is you can't see what they're doing. Like, you don't see the floor until the third go-around of their sliding. And even then, it's obscured by... By the haze of it? Yeah. I think that the slipperiness didn't work as well with the surface as uh, as they're implying it does. Oh, like maybe it was a production problem and they couldn't make it work the way they imagined? Yeah. And there's probably some danger in that too, right? Like if if uh, if they like built this set on an ice rink where it would right. actually be slippery enough for them to do this, like they could fall and pretty seriously hurt themselves. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I agree with you that that it's it's a little bit confusing, and I also think that like maybe it would feel like like if we thought that Narek was a bad boy, but didn't know that he was like actively working with the bad guys. Uh, this might have been a little bit more fun and tantalizing, but because we know as much as we know about the two characters, it's it you know like the his manipulations of her. Uh, like the needle is pegged on how gross that is already. And yeah, so you can't get caught up in like the, the romance of it. I think the feeling comes off very different from the execution, but I, I understand how challenging it's got to be to conceive of a fun thing to do on a Borg ship. (laughs) It's this feels very much like two kids improvising a thing. And the risky business thing is the thing that they improvise. Have you, have we ever seen a Romulan goof around? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't get the sense that Tomalak uh, did a bunch of goofing. <laughs> that wasn't his way. No. Uh, Soji cuts their makeout short when he buzz kills her, talking about uh, the passenger manifest he had of hers uh, when she was trucking it over to the Beta Quadrant. Uh, and this this kind of cuts everything short. It ends on a sour note. Yeah, she does not like the fact that her her truth is being questioned. Uh, she's She was supposed to have arrived on the Ellison. He can't find any evidence that she was ever on that ship. And she's like, so what are you saying? And he doesn't respond immediately. And she's like, all right, well, fuck you. I'm out of here. Which, uh, like, good on you, Soji. <laughs> like, the second the second he starts showing red flags, she's like, I'm out of here. What are you doing, Narek? The... Assumed hostility you felt that Picard would experience on the planet surface is starting to come true because Rafi's been monitoring the comms traffic and yeah. all of a sudden she gets a big spike in WTFs. She's uh, she's following all the go-off kings on Romulan Twitter. WTF RE Picard is <laughs> is coming through. It's not looking good for him. Yeah, he is he's trending in a, in in the worst way. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a lot like the cowboy that goes to the next town over and is is like squinted at suspiciously from behind the swinging doors. Like, yeah. you knew there was going to be a time limit to his experience there. 
that time limit is is getting harder and harder because they're picking up an incoming ship. And this is uh, Car Kantar, who I guess is kind of a local gangster who has an ancient Romulan warbird uh, that he flies around to uh, prosecute his warlordery. It's analogous to like Vin Diesel choosing muscle cars as his preferred vehicle <laughs> in Fast and the Furious. Like, like we don't know this character, but I think we can assume a lot by his choice in Starship. It's yeah, we great. Can, uh, we can assume that Car Kandar uh, lives his life a quarter light year at a time. <laughs> uh-huh. It's super neat looking. Yeah. I love the look of this ship. I mean, we've seen them before in TOS, but to see one rendered as with as much detail and scale is really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think like maybe even benefits more than the original Enterprise from the modern yeah. computer graphics treatment. Picard's with Zani and Elnor, and Picard finally drops the bomb on her. He's there because he needs a favor, and Zani sort of encourages Picard to take Elnor with him. Like One of the observations Picard has is like, boy, I really thought... You know, you would have found a home for him by now, but instead he's just been living at the monastery the whole time. That's crazy. And Zani's like, yeah, it is crazy. Maybe you should take him with you. <laughs> like we've we've trained him with all we know, but, uh, you know, he can't really ever be one of us. Yeah. And the way it works is that Zani can't just give, give Elnor to Picard. Picard needs to pitch Elnor on the idea of following him. And so he tells the origin story of Star Trek Picard the series. He <laughs> recaps the Data, Dodge, and Soji story. Yada, yada, yada. I get a free massage and a facial. And Elnor listens patiently before the resentment that has been bubbling in him finally boils over. He's pissed like I think anyone naturally would be at being left behind. And to be... Reunited only to be asked a favor is a terrible feeling. I think I think we've all felt this way from one time or another. You you hang out with a friend that you haven't hung out with a long time and the reason that they want to hang with you is to ask for something. That feels shitty. Definitely. Um and it's something that, you know, Picard he doesn't lead with an apology for that. No. And and I think that, you know, ideally you do if that is the situation because it does come up. I almost wonder how intentional this was because we see Picard apologizing so much in this episode even that maybe one here was just too much. Yeah, I mean, I think crucially Picard never passes blame onto Starfleet or the Federation. Like, Isn't that interesting? Like he always he like he he cops to the fact that he made these commitments assuming that Starfleet and the Federation would honor them and that that was his mistake. Yeah. Like, he's the one that broke the trust. And I think that says a lot about how Picard still feels about Starfleet, though. Isn't it weird? Like, during that interview, he said Starfleet wasn't Starfleet, and now he's oddly giving them cover in a weird way. I think he's got to be still tortured by his feelings for them. Yeah. I mean, he gave uh, he gave the best years of his life to that organization. Look how they've treated him, Adam. <laughs> Picard's ready to go uh, after this meeting with Elnor. the The meeting with Elnor does not go well, Enterprise. But he's got seven minutes to kill. How much trouble can Jean Luc Picard get into in seven minutes? I love that the implication is that he looks at his watch and goes, I'm going to go start trouble knowing that I'm going to be beamed out of that trouble by the time it arrives. It's great. And so he wanders into town and basically and basically invites a fight. This is how Giuliani and Bush should be treated whenever they go anywhere. Like, uh, like you guys basically... Uh, you know, left us all holding the bag on 9-11. You ignored the reports. You put the emergency operations center in the World Trade Center, despite the warnings not to. Like, you're you're a fucking asshole, Picard. And the what like one of the rough customers at the at the restaurant that he goes into happens to have been a Romulan senator. Yeah. So he's got like the gift of oratory, but also a sword. You know, Picard isn't being sincere about his desire to go into this restaurant 
and order because we know he hates Romulan soup. Yeah, he doesn't want any of their stupid food. <laughs> so great. It, it's got a real like peewee knocking down the motorcycles outside the biker bar vibe. Like <laughs> he doesn't look like he belongs and he's there to stir up shit and the senator is not going to let it go. Yeah. He's he's drawing a crowd and the senator is fomenting this until finally one of the senator's buddies throws Picard a sword. Yeah, I love a bad guy who's like, give my enemy a sword so that this has at least got the pretense of being a fair fight. That was the thing that didn't work about Pee-wee's big adventure is when the gang member gave Pee-wee a gun and then they both went outside. <laughs> you hate to see Pee-wee murder a, anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, execution style too. Yeah, like like double tap to the chest and one in the head when he's on the ground. Really rugged. We've said it before, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, not a children's movie. (laughs) (laughs) Then I killed all the other bikers because at that point, what's the difference? (laughs) (laughs) The meeting of the Romulan fencing club takes place out in the town (laughs) square. And uh, it's interrupted by, like, Picard does this a couple times. He's like, I don't want to fight. I'm a pacifist. I'm not going to sword fight you. He does a little bit of sword fighting before throwing the sword down, before Elnor makes an appearance, and he is soft power. He gives the senator a choice. He's like, you really don't want a sword fight, trust me. He puts it in such a way that he's like, I think you should choose to live. The senator does not choose to live, Ben. No. Do you think this is Elnor's first kill? Not for a second, because it is so cold-blooded. It's so cold-blooded. So what has Elnor been doing? He's like got bodies and he's like a, I mean, I don't know, 22-year-old guy, maybe. It's suggested that life on the planet is rough. So I imagine in parts of this town, you're going to get into fights and there's going to be murder there. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, like when the senator's head is taken off, the the gathered crowd is not horrified and throwing up. Like this <laughs> this seems like something that is fairly commonplace. Yeah. What's great about this scene is that after this guy's decapitated, Picard makes one last apology to the assembled people, and just out of frame there is a headless corpse basically yeah. at his feet. <laughs> they never go to wide shot, and I love Frakes for that. Like yeah. you can't go to wide shot there. No, it's perfect. It's so good. <laughs> One of the senator's buddies pulls out a dustbuster from his cat basket, and uh, that's when uh, they get their emergency beam out. Uh, yeah. The uh, this has happened in uh, just in the nick of time. So Picard and Elnor are uh, up on this ship that I, I think we still don't know the name of. It's the La Serena. Oh, is it? When did we find that out? It hasn't been said very often, but I think it was said maybe the first time we boarded the ship. Oh, I got to write that down. La Serena. On the ship, Picard sort of boxes Elnor's nose and is like, no. (laughs) No. That's a bad little puppy. (laughs) You do not decap attack unless I order it. Yeah. And Elnor can get with that. He promises not to. This is uh, followed closely uh, by an explanation to Dr. Gerardi of... The rules for how a Kowat Malat will pick a cause to fight for, because uh, you know, you know, initially Elnor rejected this uh, because of all of the reasons we've illuminated. But um, but it's a it's a perfect cause for somebody like him because they the causes that they pick to bind their swords to have to be lost causes. Allison Pill gets pimped into doing Jurati eyes to commercial, which is great. <laughs> like, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of this. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what have yeah. I gotten myself into? Yeah. Uh, her eyes make the uh, cartoon timpani sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great moment. Back on the cube, uh, Rizzo in her full gothed out look. With the with the pointy ears, uh, wakes up Narek. You know, this is j- just another another check in with the boss, and the boss is kind of kind of micromanaging you, kind of moment. Just another sexually charged scene between brother and sister. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> like yeah. they are really leaning into that feeling. 
Yeah. And uh, is that how it works in Romulan families? So, yeah. <laughs> he says that he's planted the first seed of doubt in Soji. Yeah. And she says, So you weren't wearing a rubber? <laughs> oh, God. Narek's, Narek's blasting big time. Yeah. Narek might not be blasting anymore after that fight he had with Soji, though. It- yeah, I admired the restraint that they didn't put the phrase "fully functional" in the in the dialogue here. Good job by them. Yeah, that would have been bad. There are a couple scenes in this episode that serve to remind us of what's going on. One of those scenes is Picard uh, telling Elnor the the source story for the entire series. But this scene also kind of resets the Soji story in an interesting way, like. I think it's been a little bit unclear what Narek's game plan is with her. And the way he puts it is like he needs to make Soji become aware of who she is without becoming fully activated. There's a difference. Like if she became self-aware the way her sister did and gets activated, she becomes a killing machine. Right. And I think what Narek is revealing here is that if he can subtly activate her, she won't be out to kill. And then that will be useful to them in some way and specifically in the way that they need to find maddox like they want to find maddox just as much as picard does and they want to find the rest of them so i think this is uh you get the gold star for predicting that soji is not the last android that has been created here rizzo is not very impressed with Narek's single seed idea and <laughs> reminds him that uh, that Soji's death is the whole point. Like that, like no matter what path you take, the end of the road is the death of these synthetics. And to remind him, she chokes him out. Yeah. Can you say the phrase the destroyer while your windpipe is pinched closed? Yeah. <laughs> That's the challenge today. <laughs> it's the eight saltines challenge she administers to him. <laughs> this is a Romulan equivalent of Chubby Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> we get our first real space battle of the series here, don't we? When we're yeah. back on the La Serena, we're, we're fighting that old Romulan warbird. And they're right above the planetary shields. And this adds a nice third dimension to the battle here. It's not just ship on ship. This Romulan ship is sort of herding the La Serena nearer to the security field around the planet. And that's making things pretty dangerous. Yeah, it's a little bit like Red October where they, uh, you know, like the entire Russian fleet is is chasing the ship. Yeah. And yeah, they're getting, they're sort of getting their backs pinned against this, against this uh, defense shield, which they don't think that they can, like they think they could outfly the warbird, but they definitely can't outshoot the the defense shield so right right they're they're in a tough way it seems like the la serena has better overall stuff but it's just a smaller less less powerful piece of equipment right and we're getting compound starship action shots here this isn't just a ship-to-ship standoff tng style space battle like they're we're moving in three dimensions here in a pretty dynamic way it looks great it does the effects are as good as this or any new CBS Star Trek show has made them. Like these yeah. are these are movie quality sci-fi effects here. I especially love seeing the planet like motion blurring in the yeah. in the view screen as they as they swing the ship around. Yeah. Um I thought I, I, I would have loved like one bit of dialogue like uh like wow your your inertial dampers could really use some work Captain Rios because they are they are really getting jerked around every time he changes direction on this bridge. It feels like Star Trek the ride a little bit. It's fun <laughs> and that and that in itself is a nice callback to some of those fun bridge scenes on TNG of people getting shaken around in their seats. It's awesome. They're pretty close to getting beat when uh, when the cavalry arrives in the form of a, a very small uh, fighter ship that comes to assist them, and uh, they uh, comment on how how great the pilot of this ship is, and uh, with with this ship's help, they're able to cut one of the wings off of the uh, of the Romulan warbird. Uh, but not uh, before it gets one final shot off on on their rescuer, who uh, they beam out at the last minute as that as the fighter crashes into the planetary shield, 
And uh, who should it be, Adam, but seven of nine? There was a noticeable amount of pronoun assumption before beaming that ship's passenger over. Did you get that? Yeah, it's the how can this doctor operate on on the boy. Yeah. If the boy is, is the doctor's son problem, they're really all going to have to go check some ugly assumptions that they made. <laughs> I love how uh, Jerry Ryan just dives to the bottom of the frame to credits here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we didn't even get a react shot. It, that, like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> Very fun. Um, she was at the uh, premiere that, uh, that we went to, and I felt like she just looked like she was having a total blast. She seemed yeah. like she was super happy to be there. Uh, you know, I feel like um, there are people that come out of participating in a Star Trek show as actors and it somewhat can burden their careers. I mean, famously, Leonard Nimoy wrote an entire book about this, but mm-hmm. uh, it's also... Uh, our friend Manu Sadia put it to me recently. Uh, it's all, it's like an annuity for, for those actors because they can go make appearance fees at Star Trek conventions for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And some of them, you know, seem to like it and enjoy participating in it and some don't. And uh, she really seems to be one of the ones that is like uh, a very happy and enthusiastic member of the family. I mean, that was part of the fun of going to that premiere is is experiencing these actors... Uh, not play their characters to just see how they are in real life. And like Jerry Ryan has had an at times challenging and difficult life. And to see how happy she was among her work friends was, was really great to see. And I'm excited to see her in more of Star Trek Picard. Like we saw her speak at Star Trek Las Vegas too. And she's just, she seems like it's like she would be a ton of fun and it doesn't seem like that's an act, Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's it's not just PR. So big ups to Jerry Ryan. But Adam, do you give the episode big ups? I think if I were to rank the first four episodes of Star Trek Picard, I think it goes one, three, two, four. So you think this is the worst yet? That's not the way I would put it. It's just the way that I'm it's just the way that I'm ranking them. And and the reason I say that is because basically two things happen. And only two things happen in this episode. Uh, Elnor arrives, and so does Seven of Nine. And that feels a little thin as story goes to me. And I am starting to feel... You're just pissed that, that Laris is gone. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's got to be it. That it's uh, You're reacting very badly to that. <laughs> it's the Laris effect, truly. Yeah. Um, I think another aspect to this, and I'm being sincere when I say it, is that uh, I love Picard as a character. He's one of my favorite characters of either television or movies of all time. He's the best. I am starting to feel the weight of just watching him be hurt constantly for four episodes. And it was such a shot of oxygen to see him happy and capable in those flashback scenes 14 years ago. Yeah. I I think this episode, episode four is, I'm, I'm predicting it's going to be where the series turns a little bit and tacks into older Picard being capable and leading this crew again in a way that satisfies because like, it's starting to make me really sad to watch him not just apologize for all of the mistakes that he and Starfleet has made, but also to be like accused of being a quitter by many people and having no explanation uh, explain that away. Like, has no one heard the story of the freshman passing four upperclassmen on the last hill to win the Academy Marathon? <laughs> Do we not remember that Jean-Luc Picard? Yeah. I do. Guy that picks fights with Nausikans. I miss that guy, and I and I hope and believe we're going to get him back. One more thing before I finish up. I wanted to talk about what Jonathan Frakes does this episode versus our experience with him as a director through his Star Trek career. Uh, gone are the godshots that used to be a staple of his work. And I wanted to talk to you about lighting in this episode specifically because... We're really leaning on Phil and not Key 
And I think that makes the characters in this episode look really interesting, especially on the planet surface. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the light is coming from the back. And I think that makes things feel uncomfortable in a way that is intentional. Um, And I think a lot of the lighting choices Frakes has made on Star Trek Discovery were interesting and good. And I think it's fun to watch his director career and his interest in composition sort of pivot from big creative choices compositionally to more subtle and interesting blocking and lighting techniques. I think he's just getting better and better as a director and as a creator. And it's something I noticed in this episode. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if I ever had the chance to tell him that I would. Hmm. If I were like (laughs) sitting next to him on a plane or something. Wow. I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't want to bother him. (laughs) What'd you think of the episode, Ben? I really liked it. I think that this probably beats at least a couple of those first three for Hmm. me. Uh, And I think part of it is that feeling of of happiness and capability that we get at the beginning and part of it is that um i have always been super curious about the romulans and this is like you know we spent like maybe two episodes of tng where we actually like saw romulus mm-hmm. or like spent a substantial amount of time in romulan culture and there's a little bit of it in Nemesis, but really not even that much because it's more about Remans and yeah. Um, and I really loved just like like they've been such a they've been such a blank slate in some ways, like a like a bad guy that we know is. It's always like a game of chess with them, but it was really fun to get a like a fully realized Romulan planet surface in the way of a planet of the week planet surface in TNG. Yeah, good call. I dug it. I think we both dig it. It's just in different ways. Well, do you want to see if we dig the priority one messages we have on this episode, Adam? Always do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have two priority one messages here. The first one is from Mike. And it's to Mock and Kristar, Shrimp, Colgar, and Casey, too? I was going to guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad they specify which Kristar, Colgar. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, here's the message. Y'all should be ashamed for being on the wrong side of this tea dispute. Picard would throw all y'all Earl Grey haters in the brig. But the worst offender is you, Mock. Trying to genocide all breakfast teas everywhere. Tea genocide is not cool. <laughs> Get it together, Mock Uxbridge. P.S. Sure, Mock. You can borrow my truck. <laughs> wow, twist ending. Yeah, yeah. So Mike is like uh, is is you know has some uh, strong differences of opinion with Mock and Kristar and Casey, but is not ending their friendship over it. Fuck you, Mock. You piece of shit. You want to come over for dinner? (laughs) Right on. Well, our second priority one message is from Christine, and it is for Easy D's. Oh, man. I thought you were going to say Chris Dar, and I was like, what, 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 what? (laughs) Message goes like this. Dear Easy D's, happy Valentine's Day. I love you more than words can even say. Even despite your ridiculous obsession with Star Trek. Seriously, honey, (laughs) how can you continue to watch that crap day in and day out? Your dedication is impressive, but also a bit terrifying. Will it ever end? (laughs) Forever yours, Christine. Um, Hey, which which one's my camera? Uh, Yeah, camera one. All right, here's the thing. Christine, I don't know what you think you're doing here. Coming over to our show and talking shit about Star Trek. Ridiculous obsession. We've made a career out of this, Christine. How dare you? I mean, I feel like Christine could be my wife. You want to know about a ridiculous obsession? It's doing two podcasts about Star Trek. That's a ridiculous obsession. Yeah. Yeah. Easy D's is uh, is, is comparatively quite chill, I think. Right. Well, uh, regardless, thanks, Christine, for supporting the production of The Greatest Discovery. If you'd like to support the production of The Greatest Discovery, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron 
It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, we really appreciate it. And you can get your message out to tens of thousands of listeners. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Rizzo on this app uh, just because I feel like um, she really does just has one idea of a thing to do and it's bother Narek while wearing all black at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. she, like her character has not advanced or done anything new recently. And uh, and also just like how do you put that get up on and not like catch yourself in the mirror on the way out the door to bother Narek and realize like, oh, I'm the baddie, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think you know what side you're on when you put on leather. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Did you have an Edward Larkin? 
I think I'm going to give my Larkin to Santiago Cabrera again uh, for playing multiple characters, but specifically for playing Benicio Del Toro in this episode. (laughs) You can't tell me that that wasn't where he began his character work for yeah. for for Emmett the emergency gunner hologram like that <laughs> I can't look at Emmett and not think of the great Benicio del Toro so that had to be fun if you'd given me that scene without the that hologram's name and then said guess what ca- what that character's name is going to be Emmett would have been the last thing I would have ever guessed and I yeah. think it's such a funny choice I'm starting to get mild, hairy mud vibes from Rios in this whole surrounding yourself with yourself thing. (laughs) And I wonder if that's going to reveal itself as a kind of uh, pathology for him. Like, I wonder, I wonder what's wrong with him. I wonder if he likes to uh, drink a Pisco Jipper from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got questions. Uh, One question that's already been answered, Ben, is the title of the fifth episode of Star Trek Picard's first season. It's called Stardust City Rag. What can you tell us about it? Well, we get uh, a little bit of imagery of them dressing up like pimps and pirates, and I'm guessing that this is Free Cloud that they go to. Uh, but uh, the visit to Star Trek Las Vegas does not go well, Enterprise, because <laughs> it turns into a firefight. This feels like one of the not-so-subtle callbacks to TNG where everyone plays dress-up on the holodeck. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Um, that will be next week on The Greatest Discovery. Let's uh, leave it with Rob's from here. Just going to leave this episode under his windshield wiper, and uh, he'll find it when he gets out of work. <laughs> The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is produced by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that's made possible by the support of listeners like you. To make sure that we continue to make episodes, visit MaximumFun.org join and pledge your support. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of the Maximum Fun bonus content, including our bonus episodes. If you want to chat about the show on various forms of social media, just search for our discussion groups, or use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam's found at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks! MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.